Thank you, Ryan, for leading us this morning in worship through music. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to Psalm 65. And choir, I just have to tell you while you're leaving, what a beautiful job you did and that piece pointing us to Christ. Thank you so much for that beautiful song. Psalm 65. Now, some of you might be saying, wait a minute, Pastor. The last time you preached was two Sundays ago, and we preached Psalm 63. And last Sunday, we had a bunch of guest preachers in here, and none of them preached Psalm 64. And you've announced this morning that you're preaching Psalm 65. And the response to that is, you are exactly right. Psalm 65 this morning. We'll pick up Psalm 64 at another time. If you'll see me after the service, I'll tell you why we skipped it. Psalm 65. Psalm 65 is a psalm of thanksgiving. You'll notice it from the very beginning as a psalm that gives thanks to God. And it continues throughout this psalm and this reflection of, of God's providential care. We learn from this psalm here in Psalm 65 that believers should continually praise God for His atoning work Believers should continually praise God for His atoning work and providential care. The psalmist reflects in this text upon God's atoning work, and because of that eternal atoning work, the psalmist says, blessed is the Lord. We should praise the Lord for the work that He has done in the atonement. And then the psalmist takes a few moments and responds and reflects upon God's providential care and creation and the way in which God commands and controls His creation. And because of that, the psalmist concludes in verses 9 through 13 that we should indeed eternally praise God for His providential care. We're not quite sure at what point the psalmist has written this psalm. In other words, is this a psalm to be sung for the festival of weeks, a celebration that happens several weeks after Passover? Or was this a psalm that was to be sung in the fall, in the fall harvest? For those of us who just had the joy of being in the land of Israel, we were there during the Feast of Weeks. You might remember as we were particularly up in Galilee, we passed by a number of, of fields where they had all of these hay bales set up and flags and a time of celebration and giving thanks to God, for they understand that every good and perfect thing comes from the Father above, as James tells us. But we know from this text whether a celebration of God's providential care in the spring or God's providential care in the fall, the psalmist is leading the nation of Israel to make this confession of faith, thanking God, praising God for His atoning work and His providential care. We oftentimes find moments in our family's life or maybe even collectively as a nation, we have a time of year that we call Thanksgiving, right? Perhaps you do Thanksgiving regularly in the life of your home where you just sit around and as a family reflect on the things that God has done, the things that God is currently doing. And as believers, we not only thank God, for, thank God for His past act and His present act, we also take hope and thank God for His future act and the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And this psalm would have been a psalm that was used in the life of the nation of Israel to lead the people of God to live their lives on a regular basis with a frame of mind and a heart set on this eternal truth that God has provided for you and me through atoning work and providentially through creation. Let's look at this psalm this morning as the psalmist unveils these eternal truths to us. Notice here in these first four verses that the psalmist calls us to praise God for his atoning work. Verses one through three. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgression. The psalmist calls us to praise God for his atoning work. You'll notice a number of references to worship just in these first three verses. We see that by the designation of praise. As we think about worship, worship is, is praise. And he mentions uh, vows that should be, that should be performed and, and prayers and all flesh is going to come to you. Reminds us of, reminds us of Isaiah chapter 2 and Isaiah looks into that prophetic future and sees a time in which all nations shall flow up to Jerusalem and be taught by God. You have atoned for our transgressions. Verse 4, we dwell in your courts. We are satisfied with the holiness of your temple. There are these phrases and words that are woven throughout this text of Scripture that show us this was a hymn of thanksgiving that was to be used in the context of corporate worship. And friends, an aspect of our worship, whether corporately or individually, ought always to be a time of reflection, of giving thanks for what he has accomplished on our behalf. Notice here in verse one where the psalmist says this time of worship should begin, he says, to you, O God, and where is God located? In Zion, a reflection to God's dwelling place being in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a place in which the tabernacle was established, and then the temple was established. For those of you who have, who have journeyed to Israel, even in the land of Israel, if you're in the Galilee region, for example, every single synagogue that you walk into is faced toward what? Jerusalem. Why? For it was an Old Testament understanding that Jerusalem was the city of God. That is where God's presence dwelt. So we might even say in the beginning of this psalm that the psalmist is actually praising God for his very presence. As we think about the very presence of God, how do we come to understand that presence of God? You and I come to understand the presence of God not by making a journey to Jerusalem, not by making a journey to some other religious site, not even by making a journey to this location on a Sunday morning. No. You and I come to intimately know 
the presence of God by the atoning work of his son, Jesus Christ, and that work being applied to our hearts by the presence of the Spirit of God, whom the Bible says is the one who is indwelling us. Friend, we don't make a journey anywhere as believers to experience and to know and to engage the presence of God. We know and experience and engage the presence of God every day of our lives, for we have the Spirit of God abiding in our hearts and our lives. And friends, the psalmist says, that is something for which we ought to give thanks to God on a regular basis. When's the last time you've stopped for a moment, paused, and reflected upon God's presence in your life? Stop just to say, thank you, God, that I don't have to journey along this experience of life, lonely, or by myself. Thank you that I always have your presence with me, guiding me, and directing me, and living in me. The psalmist says, Lord, we praise you. We bless the God who is in Zion. In case there's a misunderstanding of exactly the God to whom we're giving praise, the psalmist notes it for us. The one God whose presence is abiding in Jerusalem. And it's this same God, friends. This same creator God that you and I give thanks to this day. The one who is abiding in our hearts and our lives. We shall give you vows, and to you shall vows be expressed. A vow was an expression of joy in the Lord's act. In fact, Pastor Travis started our summer in the Psalms, and Psalm 61 and verse 8 has a reflection of this concept of a vow. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. The psalmist is reminding you and me that worship, an expression of thanksgiving, ought not be something we only do on Sundays. A vow, an expression of thanksgiving for the Lord's atoning work ought to be something you and I do on a daily basis. And what is this that the psalmist is thankful for? Verse 3 when iniquities prevail against me. Friends, as we journey with the Lord, we are not promised when we come to faith in Christ that we will live a life free of sin. We're not promised that if you come to faith in Christ, that if you'll believe in Christ, if you'll trust in Christ, if you'll show up to church on Sunday mornings, if you'll read your Bibles, if you'll pray, if you'll share the gospel, that you'll never have to worry about sin. Notice what the psalmist is recounting here. This is not only the confession of of faith on behalf of the psalmist, this was the confession of faith on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. Israel is confessing that there are moments in life and their journey with the Lord when iniquities, notice what they say, stack and stack and stack and stack on top of each other. They prevail against me. And perhaps you're there this morning, 
in your journey with the Lord. Through your own neglect, your intentional, willful disdain for the commands of God. And notice what the psalmist says, they prevail against me. See, friend, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the psalmist is reminding us that as we sin, that sin should not be a moment of joy. That sin should not be an expression of, of wow, this is great. Uh, hear the lament in here. Hear the struggle here. Hear, hear the oppressiveness of, of sin in the context of this passage of Scripture. Iniquities have done what? They prevailed against me. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the psalmist is reminding us that if you're enjoying sin, if you're loving sin, if you're desiring more sin, might it be because you don't have the presence of God? See, for those who have the presence of God, we feel the weightiness of that sin. Is your sin crashing in upon your life's door this morning? Well, thanks be to God, friends, that we don't live our lives continually with a sense of guilt or sorrow. We don't have to walk around all day long because of our sins saying, oh Lord, woe is me. We don't have to live in a depressed state of mind because of our sinfulness. Notice what the psalmist says, when iniquities prevail against me, you... God atone for our transgression. Of course, in the Old Testament, they all look forward to that day of atonement in which the sins of the nation of Israel were placed upon that one goat. He was the scapegoat, and he was sent outside of the camp. And that other goat was slain. And it depicts for us what Christ would ultimately do for you and me. See, friends, Jesus is the one who has atoned for our sins. And not an atonement that takes place on a yearly basis, but a once and for all atonement. And Jesus does for you and me what those two, what those two goats did for the nation of Israel. Jesus simultaneously takes the Father's wrath, the Father's anger for your sin and my sin, and he places it upon himself. And in that single act, friends, as Jesus serves as our scapegoat, he also serves as the sacrificial lamb of God. He, in that moment, takes our sins and pays for our sins. So if you're here today and you've trusted in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to wait for the day of atonement, you can experience the forgiveness of God multiple times throughout the day. Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything Christ has done. But friend, 
If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, then when this psalmist speaks of sin and it stacking up and it prevailing against you, that is always going to be your continual state. Sin will weigh you down. It will cling against you. It will kill you. But this text of Scripture also applies for you. For Christ, too, has atoned for your sin. And the way that you experience that redemption is by faith and trust and hope in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you trust in Christ today? Would you repent of your sins? Would you turn from your sins today? Would you acknowledge your sin before God today? Would you confess your need of a Savior today? Would you turn to Christ, the only one who can atone for your sin? We praise God for His, atone, atone, for his atoning work. Why? Look at verse 4. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Why do we pray, praise God for his atonal work? Because we are blessed by his atoning work. Paul, in writing to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, reflects upon the blessings of walking rightly with God. Listen what Paul says to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in what way? Every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. See, friends, when we praise the Lord, when we give thanks to God for what He has done, when we walk rightly with the Lord, it yields to you and me blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Primarily the blessing is right relationship with God. This is how Paul begins Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. How? with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Friends, the greatest thing that God could ever do for you and me is to give us His Son. But I want you to watch this text. Rightly, the psalmist begins by praising God for His, eternal, for his atoning work. Why? Because there's blessing in that. But see, friends, walking rightly with God not only yield spiritual blessings. Notice what the psalmist give thank, gives thanks to God for next. He gives thanks to God for his providential care. As Paul said to young Timothy, walking rightly with God is blessing for every aspect of life. Here the psalmist, beginning here in verse 5, as he gives thanks to God as he praises God for his providential care. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains 
being girded with might, who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of the river, of the waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You see what the psalmist is saying? We praise God for his providential care. How has God expressed his providential care to you and me in the most beautiful of all ways? Through creation. What does the psalmist say God controls? Who does God control? He controls all things to the furthest ends of the earth. He, he controls the seas. He, he built the mountains by the power of his word through creation. You remember when Jesus was with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus had been speaking on one side of the mountain to a group of people. It was late evening. The disciples were ready to go. Jesus is ready to go. They get in the boat, and what do we learn? As soon as they get toward the middle of the sea, a great windstorm comes about. And the disciples are panicked, are they not? They're fearful. And they rush, and they, they come to Jesus, who is peacefully asleep in the bottom of the boat, and they say, Jesus, dude, you've got to wake up. We're about to drown here. And he's like, hey, guys, what's the problem? And what does Jesus say? Peace. Be still. You know what the writers of the gospel are telling us through that story? You know what they're showing us through that story? You know what they're teaching us about Jesus through that story? The same truth that the psalmist is teaching you and me this morning, there is only one who providentially controls all things, and it is God. And if Jesus can be one who providentially controls the ways of the sea, guess what we can say about Jesus? Jesus is God. See, friends, at this very moment, God is providentially caring for you and for me. We don't always confess that. We don't always understand that. And for sure there are moments in life, there are expressions in life when we wonder about God's providential care. Is God really caring for me at this moment? And if so, how can all of these things be taking place in my life? And then we hear the sweet words of Scripture. As the psalmist reminds us that a confession that should always be on our hearts and upon our lips and in our minds, that there is one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. See, friends, it's in Christ and in relationship with God 
where we find peace in the midst of the storm. Are you trusting rightly in God's providential care this morning in your life? As you face the raging of the seas in your life, whatever that might be, are you resting in a settled conviction of the providential care of God? See, friend, if you don't purpose in your heart and in your life and in your mind at this moment, while things are going well for you, of the providential care of God, of the goodness of God, don't be surprised when the waves come crashing in at your front door that you lose faith. Would you purpose now in your heart and in your mind the goodness and the greatness of the providential care of God? And would you sing it to Him? Would you reflect daily? Would you give thanks to God for His providential care? Why do we give thanks to God for His providential care? In the same way that verse 4 answers the question for us, why do we give thanks to God for His atoning atoning work? Verses 9 through 13 tell us why we give thanks to God for His providential care. Because we are blessed by God's providential care in our hearts and lives. Look at verses 9 through 13. You, God, visit the earth and water it. You, God, greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for you, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly and settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. The psalmist paints a picture of God's providential care for creation. And how does creation respond to God's providential care? They shout for joy. This is what Jesus is getting at, friends, when he tells us in that great sermon on the mountain, Matthew chapter 6. To what does Jesus beckon us to look toward, to understand rightly his providential care? Hey, friends, look. Look at the birds of the air. See how well provided. See how I care for them. See that they lack for nothing. See that they have nests in the trees. Take your eyes from the gaze of the sky and place them on the ground before you. And look at the lilies of the field. Are they cared for? Are they clothed? Do they shout with majestic beauty? Ah, Jesus says, if my Father in heaven knows how to care for the birds of the air and the flowers 
in the field. Listen at it. Don't miss Jesus' words. How much more shall I care for you? See, friends, this is what the psalmist is saying. If Jesus has so beautifully woven together the tapestry of creation such that the mountains shout forth with might and the fields with joy, how much more should you and I on a daily basis give thanks to God for His providential care? The psalmist reflects here in verse 12 and 13. Read it again with me. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Don't miss it. There are two truths simultaneously spoken in verses 12 and 13. There is a truth about God's providential care right now. Today, at this very instant, at this very moment, at this very second in your life, is God's providential care on display. But don't miss it. This psalm also beckons you and me to look to the future. For we not only hope, friends, in God's providential care yesterday of atoning work, we not only hope today in God's providential care in our lives, but the text of Scripture reminds us that we sing and shout for joy, for we know that God will eternally, providentially care for you and for me. The language of this text speaks of a time in which Christ returned And in Christ's return, Jesus will provide at every moment of every day everything you and I in this earth will ever need. The language of this text, if we read it, we have to confess, doesn't seem like it speaks of the here and now because I can walk out to the front uh, flower beds of this church and see weeds growing in it. And I know the rose bushes are not out there shouting for joy. I want to look at two texts. Isaiah chapter 55. Would you quickly look with me to Isaiah chapter 55, and we're going to conclude in Revelation chapter 22. Isaiah 55. As Isaiah paints a picture of this day in which Jesus will return. He writes these words, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. When shall that happen, my friends? It shall happen at the day in which John 
John the Revelator peers deep into the future, and he paints a picture for you and me of the peace that shall be established at the return of Christ, and he writes these words in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, then the angel showed me, what did he show you? The river of the water of life. And how's the river of the water of life flowing? Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It's full. The psalmist reflects and says, Lord, the river of God is full. It's, it's overflowing. It's, it's providing for everything around it. John looks into the future. <coughs> And he sees a day when Jesus Christ shall return, and what shall happen from the city of Jerusalem? There, the providential care of the Lord Jesus Christ will flow. Did you see the text? Bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign, how? Forever and ever. See, God, this, see, friends, this psalm calls us not only to praise God for his providential care now, but it pleads with us to look to the future and in the present take hope, take joy, take comfort in knowing that God will be faithful to his word. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? We thank you for your providential care for us. We thank you, Father, that that providential care has been most preeminently expressed to us in the giving of your son Jesus in whom we have found life and that life more abundantly. We thank you, God, for the way in which you care for us now, today, at this moment, through air in our lungs, through placing food on our tables, through the gift of our families, and the joy of joining this church body in worship of the triune God. We thank you. We praise you that you have providentially cared for us through your atoning work and through your providential care. Would you take a few moments for your seated friend and respond and reflect upon the preaching of God's word? Do you find yourself giving praise to God?